I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today I'm going to break down the story of Michael Bloomberg and how he sold his first Bloomberg terminal. We're going to speak about his entrepreneurial ventures and his sales uh, exploits and some of the things that he did when he was trying to build the business that got him to where he is today that maybe we didn't realize were classic examples of great sales and startup strategy. So without further ado, this is the story of how Michael Bloomberg sold his first terminal. Now, I'm going to tell you the story of how Michael Bloomberg sold his first terminal, but first, if you're listening to this, you may be asking, what is uh, the Bloomberg Terminal? Well, the Bloomberg Terminal is one of the most sought-after pieces of technology in financial markets. I'm going to read you the definition of what the Bloomberg Terminal is, obviously built by Michael Bloomberg, so that you have a good idea of what it is and what it's used for and why it was one of the things that made Michael Bloomberg a billionaire. So this is the definition straight from Wikipedia. It's going to do a much better and more succinct job of describing the Bloomberg Terminal than I can. The Bloomberg Terminal is a computer software system provided by the financial data vendor Bloomberg LP that enables professionals in the financial services sector and other industries to access Bloomberg professional services through which users can monitor and analyze real-time financial market data and place trades on the electronic trading platform. It was developed by businessman Michael Bloomberg. The system also provides news, price, quotes, and messaging across its proprietary secure network. It is well known amongst the financial community for its black interface, which has become a recognizable trait uh, of the service. The first version of the terminal was released in December 1982. Most large financial firms have subscriptions to Bloomberg Professional Services. Many exchanges charge their own additional fees for access to real-time price feeds across the terminal. Uh, all Bloomberg terminals are leased on two-year cycles with leases originally based on how many displays were connected to each terminal. Uh, most Bloomberg setups have between two and six displays. It is available for an annual fee of $20,000 per user. 
or $24,000 per year for the small number of firms that use only one terminal. And as of October 2016, slightly dated data, but this will give you a good idea of how popular it is. There are 325,000 Bloomberg Terminal subscribers worldwide. So that is the Bloomberg Terminal, and that is the first entrepreneurial venture that Michael Bloomberg took on. So let's go back to Michael Bloomberg's story. And there is a sales and entrepreneurial lesson in here. So bear with me. Uh, a quick history of Michael Bloomberg. He was a Harvard MBA. He started working at the investment bank Solomon Brothers. When Solomon Brothers was acquired by Fibro, Michael Bloomberg was uh, pushed out with a $10 million paycheck. That's a nice little payday, nice little severance package. The first career milestone gave him the capital to develop the Bloomberg terminal. So he spent $4 million of that $10 million paycheck developing the terminal with only the money he had at the time from his exit from Solomon Brothers. Who else does this remind you of? Taking the money from their first success, albeit not as great as the example I'm thinking of, and putting that into their future company. So Elon Musk took the money from PayPal and he put it into SpaceX, Tesla, and Solar City. So as you can see, there's a trend here. People that are successful and achieve a level of success, it's not like they just take their foot off the pedal, they do more. And $10 million was a nice paycheck. Um, keep in mind, if you are in finance in New York and you're doing well, there's a good chance that you're living a pretty good lifestyle. So $10 million can, you know, has a has a little bit of a runway on it, but it's not in New York, if you are living a lavish lifestyle, it's not going to last you the rest of your life, that's for sure. Um, so he spent $4 million of that on his first terminal, and he didn't have any customers. So his MVP, his minimum viable product, was $4 million. And this is where our sales story starts. So Michael Bloomberg, uh, unlike many entrepreneurs, actually did not rush to get his first customer. He spent $4 million and three years of his life building out the initial iteration, the MVP of the Bloomberg Terminal, and then also thinking about how to sell this to a customer. So what Michael Bloomberg was running into was the fact that he was not replacing uh, an ingrained, entrenched system. It was a blue ocean. He was creating something, there was a need for it, and he knew it coming from a financial background. But that being said, it wasn't like he was replacing uh, some other piece of equipment that was globally known. So he had to decide, how am I going to sell this to a customer when they may not have anything like this already? So these are the steps that he took to land his first customer. Remember, three years to land uh, the first customer. So in year one, from a sales perspective, what he did was he focused, and this is high level sales advice, he built relationships, he focused on landing small deals with customers in hopes of eventually landing larger deals with customers. So this is how he did that. And this is a classic sales strategy, building relationships, landing a small deal, and then opening up and getting more share of wallet or expanding the amount of spend with a customer after you land a small deal and parlay that into a larger deal. So Michael Bloomberg was doing odd consulting jobs in his time off. Uh, and one of his clients was Merrill Lynch. In, the, in terms of being the ideal customer, the person that he would want to sell his Bloomberg terminal to, Merrill Lynch checked all the boxes. So Bloomberg was doing consulting work, but his goal was not to be a consultant. The goal of the consulting work was entirely to establish a relationship with the company and start to form relationships with the champions and decision makers within the organization. So he was doing what's called in sales multi-threading, where he lands with Merrill Lynch. He starts to talk to people. He starts to build relationships. Yeah, they're paying him a small consulting fee, but he knows that he has this piece of tech in his mind that he's building out, he's spending a lot of money building it out. And he wants to eventually sell that to all those people that he's working with. So 
over the course of the next year, uh, consulting at uh, Merrill Lynch paid Michael Bloomberg roughly $100,000, which is uh, really not a lot compared to um, all things considered what he has made before from his exit, uh, Solomon Brothers, and the fact that he's invested $4 million. So he's still net negative uh, $3.9 million at this point. But, you know, he has an in. He's built relationships. He's going to continue his sales process in year two. So again, first year was entirely building relationships. Year two. Year two, he identified the decision maker. This is the sales steps that he took. He built rapport with the decision maker to increase the wallet share. Remember, that's what was his goal. He wanted to get the consulting job and then eventually sell them a terminal. Um, so he had to figure out okay, I have the consulting relationship. Now I have to figure out who would actually, I, I know all these people in Merrill Lynch, who's going to be the person who's actually going to purchase this terminal if I put it in front of them. And he, so he didn't have all the relationships with all the key decision makers in Merrill Lynch, but he did know that he had access. He had access and he had a foot in the door. So what he decided to do was double down on building uh on the relationships that he had already built with the people within Merrill Lynch. And his strategy was, it was quite, it was quite uh, ingenious. So he had access to all the Merrill Lynch offices because he was consulting there. So every morning at 6 a.m. he woke up, he drove to a deli across the street from Merrill Lynch's headquarters and bought coffee with and without milk. And then he bought tea with and without milk. He put a few sugars on the side, I guess, of his tray. And he roamed the halls of Merrill Lynch looking for anybody who was in the office early in the morning. And he literally would walk into their office and say, hi, I'm Mike Bloomberg. I brought you a cup of coffee. I just like to bend your ear is what he said. This is, yeah, this is actually a quote. I saw it in, I think, a business insider piece. Hi, I'm Mike Bloomberg. I bought you a coffee. I'd like to bend your ear. His rationale, nobody was going to tell him to go away. It was before work started. He was offering them free coffee or tea. And there was also a psychological effect that he implemented here, whether or not he knew it. But the law of reciprocity is a very, very powerful law in sales. When you offer somebody something for free, they want to give you something back. And if that thing back is just time, and it's a minor inconvenience, and it's really, what's what's the difference? Uh, you know, if somebody comes in, offers you a free coffee, asks to chat with you, and all you're doing is killing time reading the paper before work, well, you'll take the coffee and you'll probably say yes to the conversation. So anyways, he did this. He did this all through his, all through year two. And he finally got a meeting with Ed Moriarty, a managing director at Merrill Lynch. This was the person who could make the decision to purchase the Bloomberg Terminal. But he had to convince. He had to convince Ed. He couldn't just sell it to him. He had to convince him that this was something that Ed actually needed. So now we're on to year three. So year three, he pitched Ed. He got some he got some he got some pushback on the concept of the terminal, but then he mitigated the risk that was in Ed's mind of purchasing a new terminal. What was the risk involved? Well, he mitigated that. And I'm gonna explain why and how he did it. And then after he mitigated the risk, he proposed something to Ed that was above and beyond what uh, Ed could say no to. Let me explain. So he, Michael Bloomberg finally had a chance to pitch uh, the terminal to Ed. It went horrible. So the Merrill Lynch team saw the terminal was a great idea, but Merrill Lynch is a huge, huge, huge entity, and they realized they could just build it themselves. They had the money, and they had the brains to figure it out. Um, they forecasted that in six months, they could build an alternative internally, and that their alternative would be even better than what Bloomberg had pitched them. So Bloomberg said, you know, shit, okay, I got to figure this out now. How do I 
get them to take a chance on the product that I already have right now so they don't even try and attempt to build something because it's very, very possible they could have built something much better or slightly better than what than what he had built because they have way more than four million available. So he knew that he had to move fast. And this is what he did. He had to mitigate the risk. Remember, we have to mitigate the risk. So uh, Bloomberg said, okay, if I install it and it doesn't work, you don't pay. If I install it and you don't love it for six months, you don't pay. If I install it and there's any issues with it, at all while you're building your new machine you said it's going to take you six months so he said just just try mine for six months while you're building your new machine anyways what's the harm right so if anything goes wrong in six months i take it out no questions asked no bill no invoice you have your own machine but what happens if mine works okay so if it works then you'll know that my machine works so the the lesson here is if you want to sell more eliminate the risk involved in the sale and the risk is usually uh technical or financial and bloomberg eliminated both of those risks he said if it doesn't work i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna install it myself you don't have to do anything if it doesn't work you don't pay if you don't love it you don't pay which is such an objective measurement right if you don't love it if you don't love it what does that even mean well it means that and and merrill lynch execs knew this they they could for whatever reason say forget about it um and say we don't want it but because he mitigated the risk, it was an easy, it was an easy decision for Merrill Lynch. They signed off on the project and gave uh, six months to Bloomberg's terminal to prove itself. When the six months was up, Michael Bloomberg tested the first iteration of the Bloomberg terminal at Merrill Lynch. There were some software bugs, but it worked very well. It was already installed. The Merrill Lynch team loved it that he had fulfilled in the time frame they had allotted and saved them the trouble of having to produce a compliant, complicated product from scratch. They proceeded to order 20 units from their initial order and then added two more after the six months uh, period was up. So with Bloomberg selling this terminal to one of the top five banks in the world, the product was made. The story was made. This was the beginning of the Bloomberg terminal and it all just picked up steam and snowballed from there. And this is truly the story of how Michael Bloomberg sold his first terminal with $4 million, three years, three steps, and regardless of whether or not it was done purposefully, a very insightful and strategic sales process executed quite flawlessly, to be honest. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed. If you did, hit that like button. Please subscribe and leave some comments. Let me know what other stories, what other case studies you'd like me to break down. And we can learn some great insights from companies that have built businesses and from people that have built businesses. So fingers crossed, we don't have to make the same mistakes twice. Have a great day. We'll talk soon. Bye. want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster, 
all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year, that's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot. NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash scottclary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable, under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com slash story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. 
I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now, I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. 